Well, before I open God's word, um, one of my favorite pastors, heroes of the faith, is a, um, a man by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, an Englishman who was a pastor over across the seas, and he would often, uh, when they were singing in a corporate worship service, he would often stop the congregation mid-song and in his great English accent would say something like, now come on church, think about what you're singing, we can sing better than that. And I won't do that, but I'll tell you, great singing this morning, and in particular, I don't know if you know, from where I was sitting, Grace Greater Than Our Sin was some of the best singing we had at this church. And notice it, that song is 112 years old. <laughs> and when we sing like that, and people hear the church sing like that, for a song like that, it communicates that we don't gather around a style or a human being or a show, we gather around truth that goes across the ages. So commend you for singing well this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do give you praise because you are worthy of it. Worthy of praise from every creature on planet Earth. And as we wrap up a series on missions, Lord, I pray that the, the flame in our hearts for the nations would not go out after a final sermon, but it would be what continues to burn as we consider our engagement around the world for your glory and for the nation's sake. Give us clarity as we continue to think on these things and give us willfulness to be a part of what you have called us to be very in an obedience and faith and in joy. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, please turn in your copy of God's holy and perfect word to Romans chapter 15. As I prayed today, we come to the final sermon in our study on the church's role in global missions. <clears throat> Next week, uh, I'll preach a standalone sermon, which I'll, I'll mention more of then. And then very soon, look forward to jumping into the gospel of John together. But today we come to the final one in Romans 15. We've considered thus far in this series the why of global missions. We've considered the how of global missions being going and sending. Those were the first two sermons. But then the last two sermons that I preach focus mainly on what does healthy missionary sending look like? I've been pulling from Romans 15. 10 marks of healthy missionary sending. Now, most of us in this room will be senders, meaning maybe we don't go to the mission field ourselves in long-term spans. We will be the ones who are supplying and supporting what is necessary to send others. And so if we are mainly going to be senders, how can we be sending well? That's what I've been wanting to cover the last three sermons in particular. And I, in this text of Romans 15, where we see a missionary Paul corresponding with a missionary sending church, we're pulling to the surface what we can learn. So 10 marks of missionary sending, I've already covered three. The first three, just to remind you, healthy missionary sending, number one, begins with a mature church. Number two, prioritizes partnerships with gospel messengers. And number three, necessitates a proper understanding of success. Those are the first three. Lord willing, I'll cover the final seven for Romans 15 today as the Lord gives me breath. And don't worry, they'll be in shorter form. So to reorient ourselves to this passage, I'm gonna read it in full and then work our way through the second half of it. 
You'll remember Paul is the missionary writing to the sending church, sharing his aspirations to go to Spain, to a region where the gospel has not been preached before. And he wants to get it there and he's asking for their help. And so as they correspond here, we can better understand our task as a sending church. So look with me, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given me, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to, the, to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We're jumping right in to these marks of healthy missionary sending. We've covered three. Here's number four. Healthy missionary sending primarily aspires to reach unreached language groups. To reach unreached language groups. Now, what is an unreached language group? Well, it is as it sounds. There are whole regions of the world tribes, people, clusters, groups of people who have their own languages that have never heard the gospel message. They have no churches around them. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They have no Christian witness in their atmosphere. David Platt often jokes that someone will regularly object to the idea of the church being involved in missions around the world because the person wants to instead focus closer to home. 
Often the person may say something like, why are we focusing on people so far away? There are plenty of unreached people around us, plenty of people in my family, in my community, at my office at work that are unreached. We need to focus on them, they say. And we do need to focus on them. But here's the thing, those people are not unreached. What do you mean? Of course they are. Platt jokes, well, no, they're not. They're not unreached because you're in their family and you're in their community and you're in their office to reach them. In fact, some of you here may not be Christians today. I don't know. Some of you here may be deceived in a false faith. Maybe you're here with family or friends or you're just curious about the Christian faith, I don't know, but I would tell you that you're in a dangerous position today. Why? Because there's a message coming out of my mouth, Lord willing, through the word of God, that's hitting your ears this morning and going through all the proper canals, going in your brain. It's, you're contemplating and digesting these things, hopefully, in your heart. You're hearing this message and you will either embrace it with faithful joy or you will reject it in apathy or hostility. As you consider what Christianity is all about, here's the message that God would want you to hear above all. There's a God who exists and so do you. And your purpose for existing is for that God. To make much of him. But we all, everyone, has spit on the face of that purpose. We don't wanna make much of God. We wanna make much of me. This is my life, what I want to do. And so we've turned, we've rebelled against the very one who created us, the very one who gives us life and breath today. We rebel against him and God's righteous punishment for sinners is to give them over to an eternity of torment where they're punished for their sin and we deserve it. But God's gracious love for us led him to send his son to die for sinners, to take the penalty for sinners, to give righteousness that we have turned away from. And God says that anybody who would turn away from sin and turn to trust in Jesus and his accomplished work would not have to experience torment and death, but would have eternal life in him. Jesus' resurrection, in fact, guarantees that that deal is trustworthy. That you can take all of your sin and your guilt and your shame and you can exchange it for the righteousness of Jesus. You can live in joyful communion with him forever. That's the wonderful message that people have never heard of. Friends, it's the wonderful message that confronts each of you this morning. Would you embrace Jesus today or would you prefer your sin? Friends, you are reached today because you are hearing this message. You have family and friends around you that would share this message. But the unreached language groups around the world have no such privilege. No one, no church, no book, no Bible, no institution is around them to reach them. And my point is, the church should be primarily aspiring to reach the unreached, which make up, by the way, around 3.2 billion people around the world. 
Now, where do we see it in the text? Well, look at the middle of verse 19 and following. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where? Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Now, a few things to take notice here. Notice Paul's ambition, his motivation, his drive, what gets him up in the morning. Verse 20, to preach the gospel, not where it's been named, but to who? Verse 21, to those who have never been told, to those who have never heard. Now, this is a reference to a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, where the prophet speaks there of the coming Messiah one day, the work that he will do, work that will astonish the kings of the world, astonish the Gentile nations, and they will hear of it for the first time. And Paul's ambition is to fulfill that Old Testament prophecy. Not that he is the Messiah, but that he is the one that brings the astonishing news of the Messiah to people who have never heard of him. But this is a very distinct mission. It's specific. I mean, recognize Paul is not settling for just good general church work among foreign countries here. He has a particular group of people in mind, those individuals who have never heard. I mean, look at verse 19. How can Paul say, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I mean, you have Jerusalem way over and down here, Illyricum way over and up here. And Paul says, all the way around, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Has he really? All of them? Jerusalem and Cyprus and all of Asia Minor and Macedonia and Greece. I mean, we're talking about thousands of miles here. And Paul's ministry is fulfilled I mean, further in verse 23, he says, I no longer have room for work in these regions. None, Paul. Nobody needs saves. No more sermons to preach. No more Bible studies to give. No more work there. How can that be? This shows us Paul's very distinct mission. Paul's task is to preach the gospel among people who don't have it. Friends, this is what it means to be a missionary. Now, I don't want to pour water on anyone's fire, but everyone is not a missionary. You know, sometimes people say, all Christians are missionaries. And it's just simply not true. A missionary is someone who crosses cultural, territorial, and linguistic lines to advance the gospel message to people who have never heard it by planting healthy biblical churches. Crossing cultural, territorial, linguistic lines to advance the gospel to a people who have not heard it through planting churches. You say, well, once a missionary reaches one of these language groups, how will that language group keep growing in the gospel and their understanding of God's word? How will they grow in their discipleship? Well, that's why the missionary plants a church. The church must be central to the missionary's task. It's not simply enough to share the gospel among the people who haven't heard. The missionary is to plant a biblical, healthy church. 
that understands and guards the gospel, that gathers in a congregation with identifiable members, that functions under a biblical polity of elders who then teach and guard the word of God and shepherds a local flock. This must take place so that when the missionary moves on or dies, the gospel message doesn't move on or die with them. You say, well, after the missionary leaves, what do you call the ones left behind leading the church in a foreign country? Well, that's easy. You call them pastors. You say, well, what about people here who never go to a foreign country but are really passionate about telling people about Jesus? That's easy. You call them Christians. And often, many have the best of intentions by saying all Christians are missionaries, and we know what they mean. But if all Christians are missionaries, then no one's a missionary. It's like ever, saying everyone who administers a Band-Aid is a doctor, and we know it's not true. And here's why it matters, because saying all Christians are missionaries actually takes away from the actual meaning of missionary, while at the same time, it overlooks the actual meaning of Christian. We don't need another word to highlight the responsibility to evangelize. Christian is sufficient. To be a Christian is to be someone who evangelizes. We do, however, need a word to describe those Christians who are set apart to cross cultural, territorial, linguistic lines to advance the gospel message to people who have not had it by planting churches. These people are called missionaries. And this was Paul's specific task. It's what verse 22 says has been hindering him from visiting the church in Rome. He hasn't come to them because he's been hindered by the overruling objective to get the gospel to people who do not have it. Brothers and sisters, Paul was beheaded in the first century of Rome and the task to reach the unreached wasn't finished and it's not finished today. You heard me mention a minute ago, 3.2 billion people never heard the name of Jesus. We in the Western hemisphere of this God-created globe were once the unreached, but we have been reached because the church throughout all the ages has considered it her God-given task to continue the missionary call, to push the gospel forward to the hardest places in the darkest regions where the light of the gospel hasn't been shown yet. And so Abner Creek Church family, as we consider our missions engagement around the world, I wanna call us to aspire to prioritize the work that specifically targets unreached language groups. That's fourth, that's the longest point I have today. Number five, they all get shorter. Healthy missionary sending involves financially supporting personal partners. Healthy missionary sending involves financially supporting personal partners. I hope this is obvious, but look at verse 24. Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. And then verse 28, after Paul completes what he's doing, he says, I will leave for Spain by way of you. How is it that Paul will be helped by the church in Rome? It's certainly prayer and fellowship. We'll see that shortly, but very practically through the financial giving of these believers. They give money that Paul receives to help fund missionary endeavors. You know, maybe you've wondered before, why do churches collect money? In a day and age where there's controversy and scandal and skepticism, there can be hesitancy to give money to a group like this. 
Well, a church will show you why it collects money by the way it spends the money. And how a church spends its money will show you what the church values. Hopefully these things are necessary resources for gathering, filling the biblical command to do that, prioritizing biblical teaching and shepherding, discipleship and missions. We send others to the field. We don't just give them love and prayers and a pat on the back. We do those things, but we then reach in our wallets, we click on our Venmos to show support. By giving financially, we say, we are not able to make it there, but we're ensuring that you do. And many of you who have been members a long time have been faithful givers to which I give thanks to the Lord for. It's a lot easier though to financially support someone that you personally know, right? That we trust. Throughout this section, you can hear Paul's personal nature and affection that he has with the relationship to this church. Paul knows them, they know him. It's, it's sort of like a random stranger coming up to you and asking you for money. You're probably hesitant at first, maybe lots of questions, maybe even quickly dismissive. But what if your son or daughter comes up to you and says, mom, dad, I need help with this. You're a lot more ready to help. When you know the partner, trust the partner, when you know the good work taking place there, you're much more ready to fuel that work. And so Abner Creek, I would just have us consider this question. Who do we personally support on the mission field? personally? What face is coming to your mind right now as I ask that question? What prayer request do you know that individual missionary needs? When did you last see them? Pray for them. Encourage them with an email or a note. There's a personal attachment that should be going between missionaries and the churches. It's what Paul has with Rome. They knew him and they financially supported him. And in our global missions engagements, I wanna call us to financial support for those in particular we personally know. That's five. But number six, the sixth point of missionary sending, healthy missionary sending involves financially supporting broader efforts as well. I've just called us to give to those individuals we know personally, but notice I didn't say only to those individuals we know personally. Healthy sending also involves giving to broader efforts that we may not know as personal. Look at verse 25 and 26. Paul says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Where'd the aid come from? Verse 26, for Macedonia and Acadia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. One reason Paul can't go to Rome is because he's on his way to Jerusalem to deliver funds to poor Christians there in need. And it's interesting to look at the funds that are in his pocket come from churches in Macedonia and Achaia, which is Gentile country. And where's the money going? To Jerusalem the Mecca of the Jews. And all the strife we see written about Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament, here we see good fruit of unity between them. As verse 27 explains, the Gentiles were recipients of the Jewish spiritual blessing. 
They hear the gospel that flows through the Jews, and now in return, these Jewish Christians will be recipients of the Gentile material blessing. But here's what we should catch. Do these Gentiles way up in Macedonia and Achaia know the Jewish believers in Jerusalem personally? Maybe some of them through acquaintances, but most of them know they're hundreds of miles apart. It's like us hearing of a church in Montana. We don't know them personally, but we trust that fellowship would be sweet and encouraging around the name of Christ. And yet, even while not knowing them personally, they generously, joyfully, the text says it was their pleasure they give to these Christians. Churches in Macedonia and Achaia combine resources and they give to a broader effort taking place in Jerusalem. Church family, this is where I would point out that having broader partnerships is beneficial. It's great to know missionaries personally, and we should, but there are some things we can do better by working together with broader partnerships than we can do alone. A good example of this is in the Southern Baptist Convention where the IMB is a broad partnership that goes to the nations and accomplishes some really good work. Another example of this is a group that you've heard me pray about and talk about probably, Radius International. It's a training agency that specifically trains individuals to go not just to any nation, but to the unreached nations. So if you would ever want to go to an unreached people group and plant a church among the unreached, this church could support you, but we wouldn't be able to train you in everything that you need like an agency like Radius International could. So my call today is just as the Macedonian and Achaean churches gave broadly to Jerusalem, we too can work with other churches and agencies toward the Great Commission. Now we need to be selective and critical of those agencies. We certainly don't just give to any, but we certainly need them. It can't be a one church mentality. Number seven, healthy missionary sending understands the role of compassion ministries. Understands the role of compassion ministries. Now, what do I mean by compassion ministry? Well, these are those ministries that seek to show compassion to others by how they minister to them. So think humanitarian efforts, feeding the hungry, ministering in women's pregnancy centers, soup kitchens, medical help, clothing for the homeless, clean water sources, These are ministries that seek to alleviate felt needs among people. If we are to understand healthy missionary sending, then we must understand the proper role of these compassion ministries. If we don't, we will either be overwhelmed by them or we will neglect them. So we see this taking place in verse 26 and 27. Those combined funds of the Macedonian and Achaean churches are going to Jerusalem for what specific purpose? helping the poor Christians there. Verse 27 makes clear that these funds are on their way to help in material blessings for these people. Now, what's going on in this text? What's the material need there? Well, just real quickly, let me reference for you Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Listen to what Acts says here. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
Well, now it makes more sense, does it not? The Macedonian churches are sending physical funds to poor Christians in Jerusalem because they've been struck by famine. They don't have food and their churches are looking for care from one another even across distant regions. We've already seen that Paul's ambition is primarily what? Spiritual work. His aim is obedience to the the Gentiles, to the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we put blinders on our eyes concerning the world's physical suffering, especially not our brothers and sisters' physical suffering. In world missions, the advancement of the gospel and spiritual conversion is primary. And we must keep, work hard to keep it primary. But we must have a proper category for compassion ministry. Just to show you this further, let me ask you this. Why would Paul delay going to Spain where there would be people who have never heard the gospel? People who, no matter how many loaves of bread are in their bellies, will die and go to hell without hearing and believing the gospel. Why would Paul delay that trip in order to take material funds to hungry saints in Jerusalem? Because he knows without a physical church in Jerusalem, there's no physical support for his spiritual work. Because he knows that relationships between Jews and Gentiles have often been strained. And this support from Gentiles to Jews will only make them more unified. And they will accomplish more on the mission field unified than they will by being splintered. Because remember, healthy missionary sending begins with mature churches. Because he loves these saints for whom he will share eternity with. They're more his family than blood relations. Because he understands the role of compassion ministry and missions. That to be a Christian is to love, to care, to be merciful, to weep with those who weep, to give the shirts off our back, a cup of cold water in hand, to go two miles when one is summoned, to share the burden of others, especially to those of the household of God. Listen, we Christians do not tip gospel tracks. We reach in our wallets and we, where appropriate and properly proportioned, seek to relieve physical suffering. Now, here's the danger. Please catch this. Understanding the role of compassion ministries and committing ourselves to compassion ministries doesn't mean we prioritize compassion ministries. Paul's main goal was not wet throats, covered backs, filled stomachs. His main objective was converted disciples of Christ. But often throughout church history, with good intentions, many have elevated physical felt needs over the spiritual need of conversion. And they've made it the mission of the church. And it's just not the primary mission of the church. It can't be either or like, we'll save the lost and hope they get a good meal in heaven. Can't be that. But it also can't be that they're equal, like 50% of the budget goes to evangelization and 50% of the budget goes to feeding the poor. It can't be either or, it can't be equal. We must make it our first and top ambition, as Paul did, to see people made right with God through the work of Jesus. And as we run toward that mark, all along the way, as Paul did, we are spreading the compassionate care and loving, merciful God toward his creatures. Compassion ministry is not our ultimate destination, but we must not tent our windows to it as we pass by. 
If we are to be healthy sending church, we will need a proper understanding of compassion ministry and where it fits in. And I would call us to design our missions budget to reflect these descending priorities where spiritual gospel advancement is first, but where compassion ministry is not neglected. Number eight, and I gotta push through these quickly, start listening faster. Number eight, healthy missionary sending prizes the power of prayer. It prizes the power of prayer. I probably don't have time for it, but I just gotta hit pause a second. Take missions out of it. Are we a church that prizes the power of prayer? Do you consider it a great opportunity in your community groups when you pray for one another? Do you look for ways to gather with the church to lift our voices in prayer to God? We pray every Sunday morning early, bright and early. If you can get up, we'd love to have you sometime, 845 right here. But among the missions field, we need to prize the power of prayer. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Why? 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So after Paul has said all he has to say, he concludes by pleading for the church to be consistent in prayer for him. He appeals, he urges to strive in prayer on his behalf. And why does he need prayer? Number one, that he may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. Number two, that his service may be acceptable. Number three, that he could come see them and be refreshed by them. Now his first prayer request to be delivered from unbelievers isn't just for safety like we pray, like pray for safe travel, safe flight, good weather. No, Paul knew that there were lots of people who hated him and wanted to kill him. Jews hated him for being a traitor to the Jewish faith. Gentiles hated him for his passion for Christ. The Romans hated him because of his disturbance of the peace. In fact, Acts 21 tells us that Paul was nearly killed in the temple. Paul knows he's about to walk into the lion's den and he, he, he requests prayer that he might be sustained. His second request is a hope that despite his checkered background, that he would be welcomed by these Jewish believers. And of course, his third request is that he would make it to them in the church of Rome, be refreshed by them. Brothers and sisters, do we believe that our prayers for missionaries accomplishes the will of God? Do we believe that God has ordained plans for them on the field, plans that he intends to accomplish because he has ordained us to be praying for them? In every pastoral prayer, I try to pray specifically for God's work among the nations not because we need religious fillers, religious signaling in our prayer. No, because God's work among the nations is accomplished by the fuel of praying believers. Our, our missionaries need prayer for safety, provisions, faithfulness, opportunities, perseverance, encouragement, and more. And listen, we may be holding the rope on this end, but we will only be able to sustain our hold on this rope by wrapping it around the throne of God. Number nine, healthy missionary sending values the importance of fellowship. We see this language all throughout. Verse 23, I long for many years to come to you. Verse 24, I hope to see you, be helped by you, to enjoy your company. 
Verse 29, when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of blessing. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brother, by the love of the Spirit, strive with me. It shows a personal nature of this partnership. They genuinely know each other and love each other. It takes time and investment to develop these relationships. And I would ask us, do we have fellowship with missionaries like this? You know, growing up as a teenager, we'd go on a mission trip as a church. And sometimes I wouldn't think anything worthy happened on the trip until we built something, painted something, paved something, cleaned something. And these things are great, but notice Paul appreciates about the church in Rome, their willingness to be present, their willingness to encourage and just refresh him. When I pastored the church in Maine, there were days where I felt like I was in a foreign country. And at times when I felt most refreshed, it would be when family would come visit us or when we came to visit the South and I would see our farmland and I would see family members and roads I recognized and could have grits for breakfast. I was refreshed by the company of the recognizable. It's okay to go on a mission trip where the only mission is to be there for our missionary partner. It's okay if we don't see conversions take place during that week, but that brother and sister is encouraged to stay there so that long-term, we see long-term conversions take place. It's okay to go for general fellowship, prayer, Bible study together, to give the parent missionaries a date night, to give the kid missionaries a, a, a fun night out of routine. It refreshes our partners, it fuels them to keep going. And I'd love for us to develop these partnerships in various regions around the world, like Scotland that you heard me talk about, so that each year, different teams from this church could go and refresh our missionary partners. Number nine, number 10, finally, healthy missionary sending remembers God. What is the final word of encouragement from this missionary? Look at verse 33. May the God of peace be with you all. This is the foundation of all of our missions efforts, to remember that it is God who is worthy of the praise of the nations, to remember God is the one who brings about the new birth and conversion, to remember God who gave us Jesus for the salvation of our souls, who hears our prayers, who sustains our missionaries, who provides for our needs, to remember that it's God who richly gives to us so we can give to others, to remember God who provides peace in turbulent storms, who rules over the nations, who's on his throne reigning over all things, who gives us success and leads us to our death. It is God who foreknew his own, predestined his people, called them to himself, justified them by his grace, adopted them as his redeemed, and now sends his church out to get them. Remember this God and be confident as we go or send, that his mission will be completed because he will be faithful to do it. And whatever small slice that he gives each of us, may we be faithful in the task. I wanna call us to be a church that is distinctively marked by our missionary sending. But not just any sending will do. And this is the final sentence and I'll close with, if I were to summarize all 10 points into one sentence, if you're a note taker, you might love this part. I would summarize like this, Abner Creek Baptist Church, let our sending be marked by spiritual maturity, gospel partnerships, properly understanding success, 
aspiring to reach the unreached with personal partners while supporting broader efforts, while not neglecting compassion ministry, while prizing the power of prayer, valuing the importance of fellowship and always remembering the preeminence of God over all things. Let's pray.